when you were a teenage boy, did you do a lot of like picnics with your friends? Where you I would... did. We called them kegs. Okay. And we, <laughs> and, you... and I hope no police are listening. But we used to throw <laughs> huge keg parties in City Park. And but we also did. We also always brought sugar bowls. Sugar bowls and like fine tea sets and things like. That. I just like the idea of the two seventeen-year-old boys at their friends' farm fry out a sugar bowl. Thanks for tuning back in for part two of. The Hardy Boys drink book number 18, The Twisted Claw, featuring Brian Cusick. When I asked Brian which bar we should feature for his episode, he didn't miss a beat. Gerard's Pool Hall in Rhino is one of Brian's favorite spots. I stopped by Gerard's the other day, and Darren Harris and Stephen Kloster made me a delicious cocktail. Unfortunately, there was a little bit of construction going on, as you can hear. Yeah, sandals. Um, so tell me a little bit about Gerard himself. Uh, so Gerard, he's a, a former uh, antique stealer, uh, kind of um, having fun a bar. Okay. Um, which is uh, a, a lot of things that you find in here are things that he's collected either over the years or specifically for this bar. Um, a lot of the pictures are the wall he got from the public archives. Okay. Of uh, pool halls uh, throughout Denver, um, historic, uh, historic pool halls in Denver. Sure. Um, same with the taxidermy, um, animals, and the, the big, beautiful... Couch. It is a gorgeous leather couch. I can't yeah. imagine where that was originally. Um, it was uh, uh, some hotel, like the yeah. Continental, or uh, sure. I don't remember the name of the hotel. He happened upon it. He had a friend in the, from, the, um, from being in the business. That's a miracle, that, that right there. Yeah. The timing. Truly is. Uh, but yeah, through a friend in the business. Rather than make my listeners suffer through that, I went back the next day. Stephen was kind enough to redo the interview. Plus, I got an extra opportunity to talk about the delicious cocktail they made me, the Railburn, which was vodka, Aperol, grapefruit. Basically, it was summertime in a glass. Let's find out a little bit more about Gerard's Pool Hall. I'm going to make that work. Okay, so I am at Gerard's Pool Hall in between. We're in the alleyway between Larimer and Walnut. Uh, uh, yes. Okay, awesome. So... I love the idea of an alleyway entrance to a pool bar. Nothing seems more Hardy Boys than uh, that to me. I'm with Stephen Kloster. Uh, Stephen, thanks for being uh, for being on the show. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So, tell me a little bit about Gerard's. How long you been open? Uh, we've been open a little over two years now. Cool. Uh, we had our two-year anniversary couple well, about a month ago. We had a big party here. A oh, pool awesome. party. Actually. A pool party, obviously, yeah. because we are currently sitting up on the mezzanine, is what I learned that we're supposed to call it, uh-huh. overlooking yeah. the, the pool tables. It's a great, huge layout. Um, I am not going to lie to my listeners. I came in yesterday to do an interview with you and Darren uh, Harris, and you guys made me a delicious cocktail called the Railbird. But they were refelting a table yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. That's correct. Yeah. Which I had never seen done and was pretty fascinating and also quite loud. Yeah. So I decided to come back and see you again today. Um, but I feel like I have better questions to ask today since awesome. I came in yesterday. Yeah. So first of all, you're from Texas, right? That's correct. And what brought you up to Denver? It's uh, pretty much real estate. Yeah. Weather, snowboarding. All the wonderful things yeah, about living here. Things. Yeah. Uh, we talked a little bit about after our interview. It sounds like you and some of your co- colleagues here are going down to Area 51. Yes. <laughs> and now I got to ask you about that because now I have the opportunity. Yeah. So interestingly enough, um, I, I actually, I, I couldn't believe it. I reached out to my dad one day jokingly because he owns Snowcone Company. Okay. In, in Southeast Texas. And uh, I just jokingly was like hey want to go see them aliens and make some money yeah and uh he said well i can't but you can take the trailer and take the truck and 
go out there. And it's so, going to be hot. They're going to want snow cones. That's 100% correct. And you said so, you already had your slogan planned out. That's right. Uh, yeah, our snow cones are out of this world. Do you think you're going to be the only salesman to land on that particular slogan? Absolutely not. I hope that there's a whole row of out of this world vendors. It's going to be uh, great. Yeah, we're gonna big, just multiple banners just awesome. on, on every vendor. So Gerard's is cool because it's laid out in a really open way like when you think of a, of a pool hall you enter from an alleyway we, we talked about this yesterday you think of like low ceilings smoke everybody at the bar turns and looks at you but this is like this big open sort of almost event space feel to it uh, what is your what's your favorite thing about the location and everything being hidden but also being so I don't know I like it it's it's taken us a little longer to kind of generate the, the, right. that the regular like you got to know about it, right? Either because I I play pool. I've been playing since I was a kid, mm-hmm. and I I played multiple times. I play every day now. But yeah. used to play probably four or five days a week down the street, and I didn't even know this place existed until a year after they opened. Oh yeah. So it it took a minute, and I actually worked across the street. Okay. And still didn't even know. I still didn't know. So it's kind of tucked here. away. It's hidden. It, so we have a, we don't really have a store. We have a storefront sign, but it's kind of mixed in with mm-hmm. all the other. In this, stores uh, in this building. Yeah, the big building. Yeah, and so, but it, I, I like it. It has kind of a speakeasy feel to it. Yeah, I like that you have to know, and uh, I was thinking about it. I'm pretty sure you guys are our first bar in Rhino uh, that we featured on. The, and I love that it's this one that you have to find. Um, yeah. Because it makes it feel a little bit more special with all the, with such, you have so much competition in this neighborhood. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of the draw that we get is our people that are walking through the alley, they yeah. see all the art, and they're looking up, and they're and they like, see pool oh, hall. a sign that says pool Let's Holy put our heads in there. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and then you've also, there's a lot of curated art, like, and antiques throughout the place. Right. Tell yeah. me a little bit about, about the antiques. So, I mean, so all of these pictures on the wall are from circa 1900. Okay. Um, it, back when was a really big deal. Yeah, absolutely. Because TVs weren't in bars, and so you had to have entertainment. And uh, that was the entertainment in, 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 um, in these bars. And Denver apparently had a rich history of pool balls. That's amazing. Yeah. It makes me think of Music Man, where he talked, where the lead, there's a whole song about how pool halls yeah. are going to turn the kids into deviants. Because <laughs> they're hanging around at the pool halls. And, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because it's, it's definitely a gateway like, sport, right? Yeah, it's exactly. You're going to get into track <laughs> racing, which we have already featured on the show. So we're not, we're not moving down any dark paths here. Um, well, that's awesome. So you guys made me this delicious cocktail called the Railbird yesterday. What goes into uh, making the Railbird? So the Railbird is, it's going to be vodka, Aperol, fresh grapefruit, fresh lime and basil syrup and I have to read the menu because I rarely make it but oh, yes. it is our most popular it is and it, uh, it tastes we talked yesterday it tastes like summertime um, it seems like you could drink like five or six of them before realizing how bad yeah. your pool game was getting yeah, yeah it's, um, uh, it's very tricky you, yes. you don't quite realize how boozy it is um, but at the same time, it's not super sweet. No. Like it's not a... The basil, I think, uh, I would never think of basil simple syrup. Uh, that's an interesting way to go at it, but it brings a really cool flavor with the, uh, with the grapefruit. Yeah, so it's very complimenting. What, um, what, kind of, what makes the customers you get at a pool hall different than the customers that you get at a different bar? Maybe, is it because they're here to play, or because, uh, like, is there a specific type of character that you see in here? Yeah, it depends on when you're here. Okay. So... Weekends during the day, we get walk-ins. Uh, these folks are from Texas as well, yeah. actually, um, and they're just visiting. Um, and they just somehow 
sound lines. Yeah. That's amazing. At the same time, we got it during the weekdays. We get a lot of regulars that come mm. through that play pool. A lot of them don't even pay because they're here so much and they right. don't even drink. I mean, yeah. they just come in and play pool with the owner, Gerard. Sure. Um, and then yeah, it sounds week. like he. It sounds like the desire to have a place to play pool every day was a big part of Gerard opening. Yeah, this place. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I was wanting to buy in myself when I when I learned about it, mm-hmm. so I could have a piece of this because it's so cool here. Yeah. Um, but on the weekends, it gets kind of rowdy. Yeah. Um, not rowdy in the sense like a lot of the bars around here. Sure. But, but there's like of, a lot of people, a lot of playing, and and this another again because we are kind of hidden. Yeah, the bars that are next door, people go out into the bathroom and then they walk back and they say, "What? There's a pool hall here. Let's let's go play pool." pool." Awesome. um, But yeah, it gets busy. We get like ten to fifteen people waitlist sometimes on the weekends. So just just for a table. Yep, that's awesome. And then I mean, we get busy on Thursday nights because we have jazz night. Oh, cool. Uh, But it's not it's not like the weekend. Thursday nights jazz night. Well, that's good. Kristen and I. Uh, always enjoy finding a new place to go listen to jazz. So yeah, uh, that's awesome. Where's great. your performance space in here? I just right over yep, here, right over there. That's we moved awesome. all that furniture. And they they uh, just play right for those who can't see. With this being an auditory experience, uh, there's like an awesome chess set and a very cool vintage leather couch in one part of the mezzanine that I guess is cleared away to be the uh, the performance space. All right. Well, uh, Kristen, did I forget any questions? All right, thank you so much, Stephen, for doing a second round. I appreciate it, and for making me that delicious drink yesterday. All right, thanks. Thanks again to Darren Harris and Stephen Kloster. Now, let's get back to the book. They tell Fenton that their plan is that they're going to join the crew of the Yellow Parrot. Because that plan worked really well last time. Last time. And I think Fenton says something like, okay, just make sure you think the whole plan through. Yeah, he says, it's too dangerous. You've been seen by the crew members. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's, way, it's way too dangerous. And then he's like, I still don't like it. And then they say the perfect thing. We'll be careful. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. No, that's fine. Yeah, make sure your plan is foolproof before going ahead with it. We never do that, and we're not going to do it now. So how do you make sure a plan is foolproof? Fenton, you are running a huge international crime organization. You know that no plan is foolproof. You have to uh, plan for the plan to not go to plan. And then you're going to plan C. And then uh, they decide, and then he's, Chet's like, oh my god, I can't believe we're going to sneak on board a ship. And they're like, oh. Oh, Chet, are, Chet, are you still here? <laughs> oh god, we Shoot. totally forgot. I no. thought you should have gone home a long time ago. You, uh, you, just, uh, you just stay right here. I don't even remember where Chet goes. Probably to eat, because they keep calling him fat. That's true. He eats his feelings. Let me see here. They go into the general, they go to the general store in town, and they purchase work clothes. Brand new Work clothes, which is always a terrible disguise. Yeah, no. Like, wow, your dickies are really clean. Thanks. And they're like, oh, I'm sure you're good at construction. There's a, you still got a tag on your... Uh... Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. But um, maybe they're planning on returning them after they wear them. I mean, they've got to make some money somehow. Like, the amount of money they've blown through already. So they tell, they tell Chad again, watch the ship while we sneak on board. Um, I don't know what their plan is now, because now they're joining the crew, so... Also, how are all of these huge pirate ships just, like, short on crew all the time? I I don't know. And this is, like, a criminal conspiracy where you think that they'd be, like, recruiting people from other gangs and stuff. No, 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 no. We'll get it when we're at port. No, we're... There's got to be some teenagers. Yeah, we're taking on, like, day labor for our super, super secret, top secret, stolen artifact smuggling. We'll just tell them not to look too hard. Yeah, don't look in the cargo hold. But not pay them. Don't touch those logs. So, he's, so they tell him, like, the king can always use a couple more hands. And then a guy's like, shut up! Don't talk to these kids. 
And uh, and then they're like, I mean, the captain. We sometimes we call him king. We're just, you know, just sometimes we call it pirate king. Oh, I said too much. <laughs> we, um, <laughs> it's like Batman and Robin. Yeah, where we uh, Jack and I were watching the old Batman serial, and at one point. Robin comes into Bruce Wayne's office while he's having a meeting and like sets down coffee for him. And I just imagine Bruce Wayne being like, "Thanks, Robin." I mean, uh, I mean, Dick, oh, Dick Grayson, Dick Grayson. Sorry, we uh, it's Dick Robin Grayson. We call each other. So as a joke, we call each other Batman and Robin. It's just thing because like, okay, thanks, Dick. I'll pick you up in the Batmobile later. Uh, I mean, so, in my car, my regular, my let's regular take car. The tr- bat train, train, train. But then later in that, when they're in public. Bruce Wayne shouts, this looks like a job for Batman, and then jumps into his car. And then Robin yells, and don't forget Robin, when they're in their civilian clothes. And you imagine someone on the street would be like, well, is Bruce Wayne going to go get Batman? What is he talking about? Does Bruce Wayne just drive the Batmobile and Batman's not using it? Cool. I mean, he couldn't be Batman. That's insane. No, he's too busy managing the affairs of the Wayne Foundation. They, They get asked what their names are, and they're like, Frank and Joe... Carlson and I was like, "What? That's not your name." I feel I feel like the guy asking them had a name <laughs> tag that said Carl on it, and they're like Frank and Joe Carlson. Carlson. Okay, sounds fake. Why didn't they come up with a fake name before they got on board the ship? They they didn't think that they didn't think that far ahead. They didn't know they were getting on this ship this morning. Yeah, until they saw the ship <laughs> that they were supposed to watch, and they're like, "We're getting on. Get get on it right now. Quick, put on these brand new clothes." So, Joe, let's see, they get put in their bunk room and immediately complain about it. They complain about everything. They're trying yeah, they're to be super undercover. whiny. That's how you know they're super rich, right? Like, everything is not enough. Even when they're undercover as poor day laborers, they're like, this isn't a comfortable bed. It's kind of cramped. I mean, there's two beds in one room. That seems like a lot. Don't you boys share a bed, like a room at home, though? Yeah, but it's like the whole wing of their house <laughs> yeah. that we don't discuss. And we have a crime lab. Let's see, and so they, they keep working, and this, this actually continuously happens to the Hardy Boys. They think that a good way to get clues at a place is to get a job there and go undercover. And then they're like, I don't have any time to look for clues. They keep giving me work to do. Again, obviously, they're super rich, right? They've never worked a job. Oftentimes, they will quit that as soon as they find the clue they were looking for. And I imagine that the people in town are like, no, you said you were going to work yeah, here all I summer. hired you, like... what? Turns out it was, uh, we were just looking for clues. Also, you were having us work like all day. We could barely look for clues. Yeah. Um, they get a note when they go back to their bunk. And now, it says, uh, get off this ship before it's too late. This note seemed really well timed. Yes. And I also was hoping it was in a secret code just because I have it on my bingo. But, it but it's not, no. It's just written. It's just vague. The time tip for them to get this note would have been before they left the dock. Yeah, not when they were sailing. Yeah, then, it it then, is too late. Yeah. We're going to take a lifeboat? Yeah. I also have a feeling that pirate ships don't have the proper amount of lifeboats. No, probably they probably have like them. one, one dinghy that you can use. Um, I'm going to check in with my with my bingo again real quick because I've been keeping okay. track of the air of the air travel. We're definitely treasure. A secret passageway. When they fell through that into that tunnel underground, does that count as a secret passageway? I mean, I think the hole led to a secret passageway, right? Right. I think we should go for it. Okay, great. I have on here a cult. And now, the Twisted Claw is not necessarily a cult, but they call their leader a king. I think... Well, let's let's wait until a little bit later. Because we'll I see. think once we see how he how he's running the uh, the island, I think you might It'll actually get very that clear. Word. I'm going to take that vagrant with mental health issues. Yes, I mean, that's clear. Because that guy who stands at the dock has 
claiming to be a captain yes but disappears very quickly very quickly i don't have any respectful use of spanish now what is i have the sleuth the sleuth is uh the name of the hardy boys speedboat so that's definitely not they good. have motorcycles a car a speedboat. They have an ice boat that they use to sail on frozen rivers. Yeah, and then they have a private plane. Wait, but what is an ice boat? Is it just a boat with skates on it? Yeah, basically. Okay. It's like a big sled is what it comes off. It seems like. You should have just gotten a sled. Yeah, big sled is what it should be called. Okay. But okay. anyway, they were psyched when they got it. It was a whole adventure. Just to get that boat. Uh, no, they got they it for Christmas. Check their background check. They had to, you know, sit at the DMV nope. for a long time. Let's see, yeah, so they, they are really bummed that they don't have any time to investigate because they're working all the time. And I think Joe just starts to get pissy or something. Yeah, because this is when he gets thrown in the brig. He splashes paint on a guy. Really, because he's, he's not being... Um... He drops the can of paint, and the guy below him thinks he's trying to hit him with the paint. And he's like, it was an accident. And they're like, yeah, well... We're going to lock you in the brig and give you a couple days of bread and water. Well, I would too, because I think when he was confronted about dropping the paint, he tried to fight the guy he almost knocked out. Instead of of just being like, I'm sorry. He says, I'll wipe the floor with you to the guy. Joe needs to chill. Yeah, Joe's got some rage issues. Yeah, so then Frank keeps sneaking down to bring food to Joe, which I understand from a brotherly perspective, but that just seems like a good way to get Joe, like, beaten. Or both gets, thrown into the brig. Yeah, both thrown into the brig and no food. They're really taking a risk. And they decide that the the logs, there's something weird about those logs that they loaded into the cargo. Well, hold. it's really been the only thing that's been loaded on and off these ships is logs. the entire time. Is right. Logs. So he goes, so let's see, Frank decides to go check him out, but he keeps getting caught um, and thrown back in his quarters, which I like that. I like that they, it's a small ship. Yeah, back to your room. Yeah. Why do you keep getting out? They don't lock him in there, though. No. Or in the brig. Also, it's really not okay for him to walk around, ever. They assign him to deck watch because they don't like how much of the ship he's wandering, which makes sense. Yeah. And then he's, again, he's bored. He's bored. And and what bothers him most is the fact that he had to remain in one spot and could not wander about to search for information. And I was like, yeah, it's a job. That's what you do. That's a job. You have to stay in one place. You're not allowed to wander around. Uh. They, they have no concept of what this is. But let's see, he goes back to, uh, to visit Joe again. It's uh-huh. just him bouncing around the ship. And then he goes to check out the logs. And one of the logs breaks loose and nearly crushes Frank to death. But he's fine. Yeah, I also think they were very specific earlier. And one of the tasks they had on this ship was to like seal, like batten down all of the cargo. Yes. And when they asked if they could batten down the logs, the crew was like, no, 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 it's fine. Not those. Those are okay. okay. They should have, though. They should have just let the boys, because now he almost dies. Oh, he jumps. He leaps. And, like, hangs from something hangs from, from a ceiling. girder on the ceiling. This like, is, there's also a storm happening right now. Oh, this yeah, is why the logs are... Like, it's a crazy sea storm that, like... The ship is rocking all around. Frank manages to leap I'm at least eight feet into the air to yeah. grab a girder that's up above. And yeah. he's dangling from that. I, I imagine, when I read this, I imagine he was swinging back and forth as logs are just smashing from yeah. one side of the Underneath ship Underneath him. And if yeah. he falls, he's going to get crushed. But he won't fall because he's Frank. And then a bunch of like crew run into the room to try to like you know deal with the logs. And he drops to the ground. And they're all, of course, very surprised as if Spider-Man just entered the room. Dude, you got an eight-foot vertical? That's pretty sweet. What are you doing working on a ship? Yeah. It's 1920. Go play basketball. Yeah, or like... Or join a carnival or something, or at least like don't complain about the manual labor we've been assigning you when you're this amazingly strong. Yeah, it's not that hard for you. 
he makes a really lame excuse where he's like, I just got off of deck watch and decided to walk around. And they're like in a huge storm where you can barely stand up on the boat. Yeah, I like the rocking. Oh. I, like, I like to like hit the walls every Makes now and then. Makes sense. And they're like, why didn't you call for help? No, and this is something that I was like, yeah, no, why didn't you call for help? You have <laughs> logs smashing below you. They probably would have appreciated it. He's like, oh, when the logs rolled towards me, I jumped for the girder and the captain rubs his chin dubiously. And I'm like, yeah, because I wouldn't, hmm. I wouldn't buy that. I would have walked out the door. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have leapt up. Also, the excuse he should make is like, I heard something crashing. I came to inspect, was going to call you, but had to make this massive jump just <laughs> yeah. to watch for a bit. And then they let Joe out of the brig. For no reason. They just decided to No, I think it was just time. time. They're like, he's had it. He's served his time. They go back to the cargo hold because now that they've just gotten done with their punishment, they decided it's time to take another massive risk. Uh, oh, Frank says uh, that when he, he imagined that, uh, I may have just imagined it, but when the logs rolled back and forth across the deck, some of them sounded like they were hollow. I'm like, yeah, no crap. Uh, also... How can you hear that over the massive storm that's raging and, and all of the commotion? The commotion. He's got this amazing Superman style. No, like that. Everything goes slow-mo and you can hear like... And what he should be doing is getting into construction just yes. to find studs in the wall. Yeah, because right? that's an paintings. incredible ability. <laughs> a guy who's trying to help them uh, gives them a warning in the dark and then takes a bright flash of light and tells them, stop your investigation, get off the ship. Again, they don't have any option to get off the ship. Like, cool, I guess we'll swim back to shore. <laughs> Which they could do. They're the Hardy Boys. Well, and they eventually do do it. Let's see, they track him down, though. How do they find him so quickly? They find uh, They, like, is. walk by some room and hear him talking. And they're like, oh, it's like It's gotta be this guy. Because <laughs> I recognize his voice. Yeah, that's true. On a ship that with a small crew, it would be really hard to, like, disguise yourself. Also... This is the first time this man has ever mentioned... Yeah, Clay like, Ellis is his name, the yeah, radio operator. there's several other people they mentioned sort of by name on yes. this crew that never really come back. No, they all get bad guy names, but... They should have just looked at the manifest. Yes. Right, and seen who's aboard. Yeah. And been like, this guy, he seems way younger than everybody else. Also, <laughs> he doesn't have an eye patch on right now. That yeah. seems like a clue. Yes, he, he is clearly not a regular member of the crew. He won't give them a lot of information... No, he's keeping his cards close to his chest. But I really well. like that he says to them, um, he says, I know you're the Hardy Boys. And Joe asks, how did you learn that? He says, I've been interested in crime stories for years. And the work of famous detectives, photographs of you and your father have appeared in many publications I've read. And I was like, stupid fame. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Like, they're so famous that it's ruining their ability to be in disguise. Which is my biggest problem with Fenton being an internationally famous private detective. Yeah, you would see him coming from a mile away. You'd be like, oh my god, that's internationally famous detective Fenton That's why for sure he's like a kingpin. Yes. So people see him coming like, don't say anything, don't say anything. Yeah, exactly. He's undercover. He's pretending not to be Fenton Hardy. Just go along with whatever he's saying. Yeah, like we all know, but just do what he says. So the operator tells him that they walked into the lion's den and they got to get off of the ship. Mm -hmm. And uh, the black parrot is about to rendezvous at Tambio Island. Yeah, they received this letter in the middle of their conversation about like... I know you. You're the Hardy Boys. I'm a huge fan of yeah. letter. I've got to send this message. It's about yeah. the Black Parrot. We're going to meet the Black Parrot. And they're like, oh, we can't meet the Black Parrot. And I, I kind of want to check real quick to see um, if there is a Tambio Island. Because I have a, a made-up country as one of my, uh, my bingo clues. And I don't know if Tambio Island is made up. Uh, the first thing that came up was uh, the Hardy Boys. Yep, so made up. It's okay. made up. Great. So there's one more for you. They're going to a made-up country. Or at least a made-up island. Let's see. Oh, yeah. So they decide that they're going to hide 
during the rendezvous. And Ellis is like, no, you can't because if we get close to land, they double check and make sure all the crew members are on board just in case somebody jumped off the ship. And again, I think this is another point where the captain comes out of left field. It's like, but you guys, we're going to lock you up in your... Right, which is the right call. Because these kids have been suspicious as hell the entire time they've been on board the ship. Yeah, lock them up. Um, And I can't remember how they get out. Does Ellis just let them out? No, I... Yes, they try to fight first because Joe keeps running his mouth. Yeah, that's right. Um, And they lose because they're children fighting grown men, even if they can jump really high and are super strong. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they have super... They, they're like Spider-Man, basically. They, uh, they're told that... Uh, Ellis tells them that when they get to... If they can get to the island, there is a hermit on the island that they can stay with. Because there's always a hermit on every island. Well, at least one. Yeah. If you, the island's a little bit bigger... I mean, maybe there's two hermits. But then they're constantly saying, this island isn't big enough for the two of us. And I want... Yeah, right. That happens all the time. It's, it's contentious. I do wonder if that's just a treasure island thing. Where they meet the dude who's wearing goat skins on the island. If now every single book with an island has to have a castaway on it. I mean, it makes sense to me. Yes, it makes sense to me as well. But let's see. They, Ellis lets them out they, they, of, their, of the brig. They get off the ship and swim to, to the shore. This is, this is when it gets really weird when they're on the island. After half an hour of swimming in the open ocean, yeah. they manage to uh, trudge up onto a sandy beach. Not get caught in any rip currents. Not get pulled out to sea. No, but then immediately when they land, they're like, we need to hide our tracks. Yes, we better start erasing our tracks. Otherwise, they'll start looking like road signs when the daylight comes. The weird thing is that they were told that they could stay with this hermit. But the hermit also locks them up. Well, and they they don't... I think that it's fine. It's fine that he does that to them because rather than, um, like... Hello, we're the Hardy Boys. We were told to contact you. They're like, let's hide and wait till he leaves his hut. Yeah. yeah they sneak up. So and then... Breaking and entering is what that's called. They, right? not, they do the most literal form of breaking and entering I've ever seen in my life. First of all, for readers at home, the hut is described as four feet by four feet. Mm-hmm. So you can look at it and be like, a person does not live in there. They walk up to this four foot by four foot hut with a heavy oak door and they try the door handle. And I thought they were going to be like, maybe we can look over the top of it or maybe we can find a gap. And he says, you know, help me with this. And then the brothers just rip the door off of its hinges. Again, they're so strong. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but they cannot beat four, like, middle-aged pirates. But they can literally break and enter into this house. Yeah. But I'm like, what? Wait, why? Different time. Now this hermit is going to have a grudge against you. But the hermit is freaking amazing. And this is our second potential uh, older man with obvious mental health issues. Yes. On the far side of the room sat a man in a huge high-backed chair. He did not move. He didn't even bat an eyelash. Hello, Joe blurted out. There was no reply. Joe looked at Frank. Is he for real? Frank shrugged, and they walked closer. There was a frozen grin on the man's ebony face, and he did not seem to breathe at all. He was attired in a red and white checkered sports shirt, ragged slacks cut off at the knees, and white tennis shoes. Wow, Frank whispered. He must must be right out of Madame Tussauds' wax museum. He stepped forward and touched the man's face. The next moment, he yelled. Joe, he's alive! Of course, said the man. What made you think I was not? The grin disappeared from his face, and suddenly he looked menacing. 
Despite their usual coolness and presence of mind, the Hardys shrank back before the recluse. Please, do not break into my home again, he said. With that, a trap door sprang open and the boys were dropped into a shallow pit. I love that. I love that whole scene of the creepy dude sitting very still, them getting so close, and Frank poking Touching him. his face. Like, I imagine <laughs> just, like, touching his face. Like, Pushing. near his eye. Right? Uh, he's alive. Like, why was that how you checked? Then, despite the fact that they were told to stay with this hermit, when he asked them about what they're doing there, he lies. They lied to him. And they're like, oh, there was a storm and we got shipwrecked. Yeah, that is a lie. Yeah, that's is. all a lie. This yeah, is a blatant, blatant. They just lie. jumped off board. Also, I like that the old man was very cordial, asking them not to break and enter again. He yes, says, please do not break into my home again. But I don't think he realizes that they ripped the entire door off the hinges. I think he thinks they just picked the lock, which is interesting because it's a four foot by four foot room, <laughs> right? So, but don't they go down a staircase once yeah, they I think get they inside? Do. I it? think that's right. That it's yeah. like a bunker. Underneath yeah, this is just like the, an, island, an underground island bunker. This is the phone booth that's actually a secret entrance. It turns out the whole place is rigged up with electricity. So there's like a refrigerator. There's an electric stove. Katu, who's this guy, Katu makes them burgers. And he says that they're going to wait until his amphibious friend returns. And I was like, monster, please let there I be a really, monster. Like, and, and the way they set it up, I was like, either they're teaching children the word amphibious, yeah. or we're going to encounter a monster. A monster like a frogman, yeah, which would have been really the only thing that made this um, better. Better. But when, um, but when the amphibian shows up, it's actually a, a tall, wiry man with sandy-colored hair named Dan Tiller. Oh, and what I don't get is that Dan Tiller is like, who are you? And they tell them, they tell Dan, the white person that they've met. No, because they're very clear <laughs> that this hermit is a black person. Yes. Right? And, and they then, do not tell him the truth. No, trip. and it's like, hmm. And then, right, as, Hardy boys. and then as soon as the white Dan Tiller shows up, they're like, oh my god, okay. Okay, thank <laughs> god. I was really worried. Yeah, I was We like, broke into this man's house and he was black. <laughs> and very nice. We were unnerved. Yeah, it is. Didn't go the way we thought it would. But it turns out, and this actually comes to be kind of a sweet story. Tiller explains that he, he does, well, that he doesn't pay any real estate taxes on this place. I don't know why he tells the kids that. Also, he's really nervous that they're, in, they're investigating him for real estate fraud, right? <laughs> he thinks that he... Also, the Hardy Boys are American, and they're deep in the Caribbean right now. <laughs> Way outside of there. So, like, the Not Caribbean... that they have a jurisdiction. So, here's Dan's fear, <laughs> yeah. that the Caribbean government hired the Hardy Boys to just investigate real estate fraud. Because he's living in what appears to be a tiny shack, but is actually a deck. A huge, massive bunker, yeah. right? <laughs> With electricity and everything. And uh, I really like that. Uh, so Katu, he, he's like, I landed an amphibian, uh, my amphibian to rescue a person clinging to a, a, a raft. Oh, but let's be clear. His amphibian is a plane that a can land plane. on water. Yes. But it's, also has wheels. They, it's not like a car that can go under the water. Yeah. I was really hoping for a duck. Yeah. Like one of those <laughs> and, uh, yeah, tank, exactly. the tank water crafts. It was not that, no. But so he tells a story about how he rescued uh, a man from a dugout canoe that had capsized. And it was Katu. And he flew him back to his base on Cambrian Island, which is about 600 miles north of here. Yeah, so he basically kidnapped this man and then left him stranded on his island. Also, he was in a canoe. That means he for sure wasn't (laughs) in the open ocean. He was probably just like fishing on some lake. (laughs) And he didn't speak any English. And we know this because 
Katu liked it and stayed for a year and a half. He went to school and he learned English. Just enough English to ask to be returned home. Uh, no, but he worked in a hotel. And uh, Dan and Katu became great friends and they flew a lot. And one day we discovered this island and decided to make it our Shangri-La. Some place where we could get away from the world. It's pretty perfect, don't you think? And I'm like, oh, you fell in love. He fell in love, but he's constantly leaving his lover alone to sit in the chair completely still. But I also don't think that Joe and Frank pick up on the fact that this is an interracial gay couple in the 50s. Because they're like, that sounds great. Can you fly us back? (laughs) There's another flight happening here. But they, uh, but I do like that that they that they became such close friends that they needed a Shangri-La where they could get away from the world. But also that Dan is not committed enough to Katu to just move full time to the island. No, he just visits like on the weekend. Yeah, like, he's, still, he's still flying. Yeah, there were a lot of high points of this particular book, but Katu and uh, Dan were probably my favorite. I just like that you saw it as a beautiful relationship. <laughs> I saw it as elaborate kidnapping. <laughs> I think it maybe started... It's a little column A, a little column B. Oh, so... Like, like, it started as... Maybe Katu developed a little bit of Stockholm Syndrome. For sure he did. But Katu doesn't seem to have any way to leave this island. No, and he has obviously been sitting super still in a chair (laughs) for hours. I didn't know if that was just to trick the Hardy Boys or if that's just how Katu passes the time. I know they're coming. Okay, okay, I'm set, I'm set. Okay, don't move, don't move, don't move. Even if they touch me on the face, I'm not going to move. Dan is giving them a ride, a flight back to shore, and they they pass the yellow bear parrot, and they fire missiles at the airplane. Yeah, they they do lose an engine, but then it turns out that the engine wasn't, it was just oil on the engine. Well, whatever they figure out, they're not charged for it, is what it is. Yeah, Dan's like, I got extra engines, don't worry about it. And this is the only time I've seen the Hardy Boys offer to pay for something. Pay for something that they were responsible for. Um, Yeah, they get home, and Aunt Gertrude is like, oh my god, it's been days and days since we heard anything from you. And you imagine Laura being like, were they gone? Did did you find my pills when you were gone? No, you, Laura, you, I hid your pills. They're in my pocket. Yeah, she doesn't seem worried in the slightest. No, she's like, well, it's good to see you boys. How was your camping? Were you camping? What was it? Uh, We were undercover uh, on a pirate ship. Will you bring mommy another bourbon? (laughs) Uh, Sure, mom. Fenton Hardy's like, you place yourself in a very dangerous position. I'm thankful you decided to escape. You let them. You agreed to it, dad. You told them. Totally you. Yeah. And then Fenton, very, uh, or I mean, Aunt Gertrude is very correct in being like, you should not, you should tell them not to go running off for days at a stretch without letting us know where they are. Even a postcard would have been some consideration. Yeah, and then Fenton's like, this is why you're not married. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, sorry we didn't send a postcard from Castaway Island. <laughs> yeah. And then I like, Frank's like, well, the situation was sort of grim. Yeah, it was sort of grim. You almost died. Someone fired at an airplane. And then you broke into someone's you love broke into shack. Person's, yeah, into the love shack. That's, uh, but the trip was not a complete loss because they have this contact now on the ship named Ellis. And Ellis told them, the radio operator, that he's going to be broadcasting... Constantly? Constantly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think he says he'll broadcast at some point. Between a certain hours. Yeah. He'll broadcast. And, but it was uh, very much like uh, waiting for the cable person, like between the hours of 6 a.m. and 6 a.m. So the next day. They set up a listening watch where they're all going to sit by the radio to listen to it in case it comes through. And they also wrote Chet in. And I'm like, Chet, Chet doesn't have to do this. They're like, Chet. But, but before that, they find out that Chet has become an archaeologist. 
and is digging in his backyard and strikes a water main. He did not call the Can You Dig It hotline no. to find out if it was safe to dig. Also, he was probably digging in the street where there's <laughs> definitely water mains, yeah. right? Chet seems almost like brain injured in this book. Chet spends a lot of the rest of this book paying off the city for... Um... No, they don't. He doesn't have to pay for it. Oh, what? Because the city finds out that, oh, we needed to replace that water main anyway. We're oh, not going to charge you. That's right, because uh, they admitted liability? Yeah. The city didn't just take this opportunity? Yeah, because that's to, how like, cities work. No, right? yeah. like, the city would have been like, actually, wait, this kid You've got to replace the whole thing. And we needed to upgrade anyway, so great, uh, now we don't have to pay for it's it. It's a problem. Frank is like, don't take it so hard. Things could be worse. And he's like, yeah, I guess. I don't know how it could be worse than this. Everyone's so mad. And they're like, well, don't worry. We need your help. And Jet's like, what kind of help? Oh, cool. Never mind about all my problems. And they're like, yeah, we need you to sit by the radio at our house for like four to six hours. I just imagine Chet really excited. Like, yeah. uh, Can I I bring a book or something? No. no. We need you like focus. Okay. Can I have like a snack or no? No snacks. No. Just stare at the radio. Thanks for thinking of me, guys. Sure. Okay. Bye forever. But I also wonder, it seems like Chet's dad might have just paid the city. Because later, Chet's like has to do a bunch of work for his dad. Yeah, well, it, he also is a farm person, so that's just he sort has of to like do par for the course. Right? <laughs> that's why he's baffled that the Hardy Boys can't work a seven-hour day. But I also like how they were going to each take a day shift to listen to the radio. So Chet's, Chet's assignment isn't for four days from now. Yeah. Because Frank, Joe, and Fenton each get a turn first. So they're like, we need your help, to, dis- and we're going to distract you from this crappy thing that happened. In, in four, four days. <laughs> we'll see you soon. Bye. See you soon. Bye. And then Ellis contacts them before Chet even gets a chance to help. Um, oh, and they, but they do find out that there was another museum robbery. Yeah, because they've been sailing for four weeks. There's got to <laughs> be another robbery. That's right. It's in Connecticut. They immediately uh, go to Jack Wayne to take another flight to Connecticut. They and again, land. Jack's pretty sad. He's like, oh, you flew on a seaplane? <laughs> Oh, you guys flew from Miami? Oh, you... cool. I was just here. And they're like, well, we need a flight. And he's like, where Where to? And they're like, Connecticut. And he's like, oh, okay. Weren't you guys just somewhere else? And how'd you get back? Oh, it's cool. Why do you have a private I mean, plane? I really like Miami, but, you know. Would have loved to go. Let's see. They find out that the museum has not been robbed. It's right? a ruse. It's a ruse. Yeah, it's it was a, a red herring. But another museum has been robbed, which seems like, oh, yeah, of course. And I just imagine the phone call was like this. Uh, ER, I mean, uh, uh, there's a, um, oh, hello, I'm a museum guy, guy, (laughs) and we've got a robbery at a museum in Connecticut, not anywhere else. (laughs) All right, we'll see you soon, Hardy boys. Over and out. All right, it worked. Oh, (laughs) hang up. (laughs) (laughs) They bought it. Yeah, but uh, but then they realized that, yeah, that it was a trick to draw them to the wrong museum, and I was like, these guys are dummies. Before they split up. Also, I think in every one of these museums they've been to, there's a line or two about them finding a comfortable chair and taking a nap in them. Yeah. That the only time they're really sleeping is in museum chairs. It's quiet. It's comfortable. I mean, it's the best night's sleep you'll ever have besides the gas, right? Yeah. There's no field trips, apparently. So let's see. Then they fly to, what, Delaware? Yes. From Connecticut. From Connecticut. They need to refuel the ship to Delaware. While you refuel the ship, 
I'll check with the curator and the police down there. One wild goose chase is enough. And I'm like, oh my God, they're flying so much. So much, yeah. No wonder we're in a problem of global warming. That, yeah. It's because 100 the, years ago, they just flew all over the country whenever they wanted with their private jets. That's what I'm talking about. If this was a film adaptation. I want every single one of these flights in there where you see the boys get yeah. on the plane, riding in the plane, getting off the plane. And not like Indiana Jones with the red dot, but no. just them sitting awkwardly in a tiny plane. For like a couple seconds too yeah. long. And then just so we know. Yeah. And they were on a plane. It took a long time. And then, I, yeah, it says... The sleek hardy planes uh, streaked down the Bay- Bayport runway to take off for the second time that night. So they didn't fly to Delaware. They flew home to Bayport. Ah, right, And right, then right. flew from Bayport to Delaware. Right, right. Again, this is why we're in the situation climately we are. Yep, it's all the Hardy Boys' fault. So let's see. I, I don't like how they give all these characters names. It's like Seth Spencer, the chief of detectives in Connecticut or in Delaware. Yeah, we got Mr. Sidney at, the, at Connecticut. We've got... They could have just called him the chief of police. Because whenever they give him a name, I assume that they're going to, like, matter. And okay, they don't. we also have Mr. Faustin, the curator. Oh, right. This museum gets a lot of uh, really personal touches with these names. It does. They think that Mr. Faustin might be unconscious somewhere in the building, right? Right. They send everyone to, like, the police chief, Mr. Spencer... Has everyone go back over the work they've done with a fine-tooth comb. Although this museum has just been robbed, <laughs> which means these police did not do their job when they got there. They, they just started standing around like, ah, it's robbed. Well, it another robbery. Stuff is gone. Boys, any clues you'd like to take with you? Here, um, here, take this. It's for sure got fingerprints on it, but take, take it with your bare hands. I like that Frank suggests that maybe the thieves took the curator along with them, and Spencer's like, if so, they'll have a kidnapping charge added to their crime. I'm like... Oh, I think they already have a kidnapping yeah. charge from yeah. when they kidnapped those boys. Twice. Also, they have a kidnap victim with them that we'll get to. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We'll get <laughs> yeah, to this. Right. I didn't mean to, like... Spoil it. Yeah. And then uh, Avery Faustin calls. And he's like, I heard a TV newscast saying the museum was robbed. What's going on? And, uh, and they're pissed it gets to the media. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, it's over. Yeah. I wrote stupid fame again. Because, like... Yeah, as soon as it gets out on the media, Fenton's like, oh, we're screwed. If they know the Hardy Boys are investigating... It's all over every they're paper just in the country. St- they're just going to stop robbing museums. And I'm like, well, good, right? Like, Isn't that a plus? Like, don't we want them to stop robbing museums? Yeah, the chief of police is like, why do you want us to track... Because uh, Fet- Frank is like, hey, was there any like logging companies around here or trucks carrying logs? And they're like, yeah, It's why? Delaware. <laughs> it's 1920. Yeah. For sure there is. <laughs> he's like, can you track uh, a flatbed truck carrying logs? And he's like, I can do that, but why? And Frank says, I can't explain now. It's a hunch. And, and ch- so the chief of police is like, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> well, if it's a hunch. Also, this is, okay, I'm, I'm still, like, is it 1920 or is it 1950? It's somewhere in the first half of the 20th century. Okay. That's what you have to... It's this no time that exists between the 1920s and the 60s. Let's say between wars. Okay, yeah. We'll between say between wars. wars. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good. So that means this chief of police to track a flatbed truck means he has to send every officer he has on his staff... On patrol. Yeah, out to find a flatbed truck. Every flatbed truck that, ca- that has logs on it in Delaware. If we could travel through time, this is the time to re-rob the museum. <laughs> yes. Right? When none of the police For are all around. the stuff that wasn't taken by the yeah, idiot probably robbers. probably very valuable things. Um... They go back to the airport. Uh-huh. Uh, Jack Wayne is asleep on a sofa. I like that little touch that he's like crashed out. 
But I like that he's sleeping soundly. Sleeping soundly, and they're like, Jack! They shout at him. Oh, no, they gently shake him. Okay. We have to fly to Newland, New Hampshire. I mean, but I think they still yell Jack, because there's an exclamation <laughs> point. So yeah. they yell at him and then gently shake him. <laughs> so he's startled awake, and then there's a teenage boy, like, lightly touching him. Oh, Jesus, don't touch me. <laughs> we have to fly to New Hampshire. Okay, great. Let's fly to New Hampshire. They fly to New Hampshire. Um, they have a quick breakfast at the airport. I can't tell if these are small, like, commu- like small little private airports. This sounds like a real airport that they went to that had a cafeteria. Between the wars, the air traffic control person also cooked for everybody that landed, <laughs> you know. And was the bartender. Different time. Different in the time. morning pilot's lounge. Um, I'm going to check my uh, bingo one more time, see if anything else has been added. No secret codes. No rewards. I don't have a ghost or yeah. a party or a picnic. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty stuck here. I would need surfing and sabotage, and I don't think I'm gonna get either. Say what they had for breakfast? No, it just which is pretty strange. Uh, I was hoping for pie. Yeah, no, I don't have pie. I don't have a picnic either. Has Mrs. Hardy left the house? No, she's in a drug-induced. Like, yeah, coma. that's right. Okay, well we'll check back in a little bit later. Maybe there will be more. They right. they find they get so that when they get to this uh, new police station, they've flown to so many places. This is in New Hampshire. They found that logging truck, and they unscrew the end of one of the logs, and stuffed inside it is the artifacts. But these poor loggers that were driving this truck, <laughs> they're arrested. Yes. And they come to them, and one of them's like, I knew it was a bad idea when they gave us fake license plates, when they told us to come back in an hour or so after taking a walk, after they were cutting open the logs, and we come back to full logs again. And they're like, and so we were pretty suspicious, but they offered us three times the normal rate, so we couldn't say no. And I agree with that. <laughs> That's the one thing I actually... But it's like, okay, so it was clearly... Like, illegal. But they were like, well, whatever. We'll just say we didn't know anything about but it. But we haven't really discussed the logs, truly. Mm-mm. So what's happening is they're cutting the logs in half, yes. hollowing them out, and then putting suits of armor, <laughs> orbs, and scepters in them. Because if you're traveling <laughs> with a very valuable crystal orb, the best place to put it is a hollow log. On the back of a flat. Also star. stuffed with suits of armor. <laughs> and scepters. And then they manage to so delicately carve the logs so that they screw bottle cap style together. Yeah, I also hope that these logs, they're like cut in half and then cut like foam briefcases (laughs) so that each thing has its perfect spot within the log. Then I'm okay with it. Yeah, okay, that sounds really cool. But they were only gone for like an hour. They were told to take an hour long walk. I think, I think it was something like, uh, go take a hike for an hour. It's like, yeah, that doesn't sound mafioso or <laughs> piratey. So they're supposed to deliver these logs to Stormwell, which is the port in Canada where the Mounties rescued the boys. Yeah, also, so they're delivering... Mm, so they're taking logs from Delaware to Canada yeah. to then be sailed to the Caribbean. <laughs> this seems like a really not well thought out Just plan. Just so complicated. I, I like how they ask, can you get a description of any of the men? And they're like, no, it was too dark. I was like, so... Also, these men stood back in the dark shadows. But also, they just talked to these men as they dropped the logs off. Which means that these guys just realized after telling the story that they're just as, uh, that they're accomplices and are now no no longer cooperating. (laughs) No, they they immediately switch. No, I don't recognize anybody. I am calling a lawyer. (laughs) 
Yeah, as soon as they realize, they're like, now that I tell the story, we definitely did crime. It's also very disturbing to think that maybe they're telling the truth, and these <laughs> two truckers can't see to save their lives. Right? Yeah, they're both loggers and truckers. Uh, that's dangerous. They need to have better night vision. Um, let's see. Oh, oh, yeah, and then the, they're like, the desk sergeant is like, hey... Cool, uh, you guys read in the paper today. Ed Watts at the at the Newland Record. He uh, he got excited when he heard you were in town, and, and so the Hardy Boys just start cussing like <laughs> a, a stream of profanity you have never heard just falls out of their mouth. And yeah, their dad's they, like, "What happened?" They're like, "We were sailors." They're like, "No, what?" They're like, "The press is the enemy of the people." <laughs> but anyway, they decide. Why do they undress? I just read before they undressed, a telephone call advised that there had been no record of the log shipment. I guess they're about to go to bed. Yeah, um, yeah. Because they, oh, they flew back to Bayport. It also says that these two truck drivers were released and given their truck back with oh, the fake, fake tags <laughs> that were given to them by the no, pirates. that's impounded. And also hold them because it seems like they're still, that they might still have some information. So uh, they, they think that it's like totally, that their stupid fame has ruined everything. They're not going to get any more leads. Oh, but their only hope now is that Clay Ellis, who is on board the Black Parrot, will contact them. Yeah. And give them some information. They don't know if he's even sitting there for the past four days by the radio. Listening to the radio. I wonder when they're coming back. And then Chet, uh, like, kicks in the door and decides the next morning, his jalopy, which is called the Queen, Mm -hmm. um, screeches to a halt in front of the house. And he runs in, determined that he is going to be one of a famous archaeologist. This is one of those, like, kicked in the head by a mule. Yeah, this is a, this is a really strange three pages. <laughs> it's, it's three whole pages. So Chet finds an ancient bowl. Yes, made that, of porcelain. That he's going to get carbon-14 tested. <laughs> I don't know when that technology was invented. He also thinks for sure it's, like... Pa- like... Pre-Ice Age? <laughs> Pre-Ice Age Native American. Pre- yeah, probably dates back to the pre-glacial period. That makes no sense. <laughs> also, if he found that, he is for sure going to be a famous archaeologist. Yeah, and he's going to spend all of his life trying to prove that what he found isn't a fraud. As people try to debunk it, because it doesn't fit with any archaeological model. But luckily for Chet, <laughs> Gertrude walks in just yeah. at that moment. To be like, why do you have my sugar bowl? It turns out it's a sugar bowl that's been lost for a while. The boys took it with them when they went on a picnic at Chet's house. When you were a teenage boy, did you do a lot of, like, picnics with your friends where you I would... did. We called them kegs. Okay. And, we, <laughs> and, we, would... and I hope no police are listening, but we <laughs> used to throw huge keg parties in City Park. And but we uh, also and did... We also always brought sugar bowls. Sugar bowls and, like, fine tea sets uh-huh. and things like that. I just like the idea of the two 17-year-old boys at their friend's farm brought out a sugar bowl because you need, like... Yeah, for what? Are you making tea? Yeah. On your picnic? Like, are you have coffee? It's very, like, Jane Austen or something like that to, like, see the spread all That's laid so out. so strange. Well, and then they proceed for a couple pages to just rip on Chet. For being like, dumb. Just really handy you to him. You fat, dumb, dumb, fat, dummy. Poor Chet, Joe said with regret. He took it pretty hard. Like, yeah, you just you ripped just on ripped him. For, yeah, you, your aunt. Uh, aunt Gertrude, throughout many of the books, is the most vicious to Chet. Which I think is great. She's like... Maybe she's looking for a partner. Maybe. Right? That's I mean, true. she's not married. That's true. Chet, in one book, decided to be vegetarian, and the boys teased him mercilessly until he gave up. Did they call it a mistake? <laughs> Sorry, that was terrible. That was Sorry. great. 
But, um, okay, so uh, after supper, a doorbell rings. Oh, yeah, they decide they, that they're going to call him later and apologize. They never call Chet later and apologize no, for being so mean to him. Chet went home to eat four more pies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> eat your feelings. Um, a guy shows up who is of medium height and weight, which means nothing, and he says he's in serious trouble. His name is Barney Egert. He was one of the crooks, right? Yeah, but he was like a late hire. Yeah, right? he's like, like one he's, of the guys they hired on the docks. Yeah, which is like, first of all, criminal organization, like, vet your yeah, employees, right? Absolutely. Like, this guy turned as fast as he could. I know. Ran also, straight to the Hardy That's boys. why you don't take day laborers for criminal enterprises. Some of them might go to the police. This whole part was very strange. But he says that he doesn't have any friends, he has no money, he has nothing, and, his, and that their reputation is so well-known, and he knows that you guys get a good... That he gets, like... Basically, if he cooperates with them, the police will cut him a deal. Because the judge is always like, well, the Hardy Boys said he's all right, so you're <laughs> acquitted of murder, sir. <laughs> exactly. They're like, I don't think he meant to do a murder. It just sort of happened. It's fine. It happens to all of us. Frank's like, once I punched a guy, his head came clean off. <laughs> so uh, they talk about, though, how everybody's out of work and how everybody's so broke and how you have to take the jobs you can get. And like all the people they run into, the reason they get roped into this is because... They're so destitute. Yeah, and they never help them. No, right? they, they never. never. Like, they've got their private jet and their yeah. boats and their... Their big old house and... Stupid Hardy boys. And I just really, like, shit is rough for everyone not named Hardy. Yeah, in it's this for scene. sure. It's, it's, we're in the Depression. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This is... Now the time frame has become very I mean, clear. they've gone to more than one shantytown before. So it's very clearly, like, Hoovervilles, you know? Like, yeah. uh, it is deep depression. But the uh, Hardys are big fans of Hoover, so they yeah, don't Yeah, that's true. His regressive uh, policies. That kind of fits with their economic worldview. <laughs> sort of. They're, they're, I, bet, I bet they're meritocratists, where they're like, look, if they weren't poor... Or if they would just be better people, they wouldn't be poor. If you could find clues, you would have a jet. <laughs> yeah. Or a propeller plane. Or whatever. Though the Hardy Boys did find treasure in like the first couple of books multiple times. So they have like... And never turned it in. Well, they turned it in, but they got huge thousands of dollar rewards every time they find treasure. All right. So I think yeah. they just have a big savings account. And they're never going and to college. And good investments. They're perpetually 17 and 18, so they're never going to college. Which helps. And super strong. Yeah. So... <laughs> Let's see. Frank asks the guy if he knows anything about the ships. He says that, yeah, yeah, I know about those ships. They pick up loot, and then they deliver it to the island, and then they get their payoff. They don't really get any information from Eager that they don't already know, right? It's kind of the worst-case scenario. He turns himself in as a member of a criminal conspiracy to confess, to try to cooperate with the investigators to get a better deal. But he doesn't have any information they don't already have. So for sure he's going to jail for a long time. Yeah, it makes me think of Michael Cohen, is what it really makes yeah, me think of. It's he's... like, I'm going to flip. And they're like, oh, we know all this stuff. Turns like, out you have nothing you shoot. Yeah. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> shouldn't have done that. Whoops. And they, get, they get a, finally get a message from, Frank, uh, from Ellis, from Clay Ellis. And the message is this. Dit, dit, da, dit, dit. Dit, da, dit, 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 dit. Which, oh, of course. which apparently means Ellis need help, urgent. We'll transmit 200 KC, 1700 CW to 2100 GMT daily. Should pick up at Cambrian, must go. He's in trouble. Well, perhaps that was just like the beginning of the message. Like a uh, news alert. Like, Ellis needs help, urgent. We'll transmit 200 KC, 1700 CW to 2100 GMT daily. Should pick up. At Caribbean. Must go. I, I like that Fenton Hardy is like, Ellis will be transmitting on a frequency of 200 kilocycles. But for what reason? And I forget what CW means. I was like, you what? <laughs> you, 
You forget? And they're like, it means it means continuous or carrier wave. And he's, he's like, actually oh. testing his children. Yeah, right he's now. like, quite right. And quite like, right, Frank. <laughs> you don't get beat tonight. Joe's like, wait, am I going? Well, I, I knew that too, Dad. Shut up, Joe. He didn't speak fast enough. Also, but that yeah. just took a dark turn. I didn't realize Phantom yeah. <laughs> appeared that way in my head, but apparently he does. He is a vicious man. It's because he's a kingpin. Yep. Let's see. They decide that they got to get down there, and they're like, can we use your plane? And again, uh, I wonder if um, if maybe like Fenton and, and Jack Wayne had some sort of falling out. Because they're like, we should use Dad's plane. And they're like, no, 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 let's use Dan's. That, like, that guy you met, that random guy that picked you up from that island where his lover lives. Use him, and that way, because he knows the area. And they're like, let's ask Chet if he wants to come along. And they do, and they take a flight. They take Chet with them. To Cambrian Island. But they don't take their private plane. No, down. they take they the... They book another... They book another... Uh, Southwest, Southwest plane. flight down to, the, uh, down to Miami. When, right when they made the reservation, they're like, you know, we have a plane. Oh, no, 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 it's fine. Let's see, there's a slight delay. I thought that the slight delay was going to lead to some plot point. No. Just part of air travel. <laughs> they, That's the shot of it. Was, it's foreshadowing to the future of air travel. Yeah. Right? Every other plane they've had is perfect. Nothing land, bad happens. They walk from one plane to another plane. I mean, even the flight where an engine caught a flame. Yeah, they landed. They were fine. They were fine. They decide they're going to go see if they can find Dan Taylor by just wandering around the air, like the airfield. Right. And they do. And he's just gotten done fixing his plane that they broke. And they're like, can we have another ride? And he's like, yeah, for sure. Yeah, just fix it. Sweet, let's go. Um, He doesn't have any jobs or anything? No, he's just sort of biding time so he doesn't spend too much time with his lover. He doesn't want the the relationship to go stale. Yeah, familiarity breeds contempt. There is not a lot to do on that island. And, uh, you know, they've been together long enough that they've done all the the, the stuff they went down there for. It's going to take so much fuel... That they can only fit, that they have to add on a bigger tank to the seaplane. Yeah, and they can only take two of them. And there's a brief moment of hilarity where they're like, I guess Frank and, or I guess Fenton and Chet are going. And Chet is like super excited, and then they just, and they're like, <laughs> they really, like <laughs> you no. idiot, stay here, Chet, what are you, you gonna fly? Too fat to fly. <laughs> That's so stupid, you stupid, stupid. And the joke they should have made since they've been bragging on Chet's weight this whole time is yeah. like, oh, you can only fit two people? So Chet. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, that's... Yeah, absolutely. Stupid hardy boys. Um, but instead, uh, why did they bring him down there to uh, Florida just to tell him that he has to get stay? Get his hopes up. Yeah. Get you him know. out of Bayport again. Maybe Fenton is actually grooming Chet to be a great henchman that's or true. part of his criminal organization. Chet does seem like a Because then a good we have henchman. just the hardy boys for the, almost the rest of the book. Yeah. Until another... You kind of wonder what Chet and Fenton are up to. Fenton's teaching him how to torture people, right? Okay. Like, I got this guy we've got to interview down in Florida. Come on, Chet, I'll tell you, show you how this is done. Yeah, and he's like, so here, I'm going to teach you how to, how to punch, right? So this like, is punch a, a man. This is a, 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 a tied-up dummy with a, with a burlap sack over his head. And you're like, that, bu- that dummy's crying pretty hard. <laughs> Why is the dummy bleeding? <laughs> Just hit it. Hit it as hard as he can. They decide, what, are they going to try to get on another one of these ships? No, they, they get into the plane that they had to remove two seats for extra fuel because right. they had to triangulate where... Oh, that was kind of interesting, the triangulation. That I thought was actually pretty cool. But they, they didn't explain it with the right terms. Nope, they didn't. They didn't say the word triangulate, triangulate ever. No, right? and I'm like... He's like, and then with some quick maths, I'll figure out where they are. What kind of maths? It's a triangle. A triangle, <laughs> right? yeah. Basically, they, they know where the broadcast is coming from and they know how far away it is. 
Yeah, and then by traveling a certain distance, 10, in, 10 degrees, and then measuring it again, they're able to figure out exactly where it is on the map. Yeah. Called That's triangulation. triangulation. Yeah. <laughs> it was a really good opportunity to teach kids something, and they chose not to do it. Yeah, I was, I was like, all right, well, just let your sweet new pilot do all that mathy stuff. They, pla- mm. they pass over a ship. Yeah, they he land lands on near. a secret island. Well, they don't see the ship. They, like, see the ship, but don't, right? They don't see the ship till they've landed in, like... I have a hunch the yellow parrot is hidden down there, ah, is what it says. got a raging hunch. Yeah, just the biggest <laughs> one. And uh. this is when they get attacked by a shark. Yeah, they land, they go to swim from where the ship, uh, where the boat landed to shore. No, they're in a raft. They're in a raft, that's right. The pilot inflated the raft and eased it over the side. And they get attacked by a shark! It's the, yeah, uh, page 157. So, bingo. You You got bingo? I got bingo. Oh my god. So what are your bingos? So we have trespassing. Great. We have a vagrant with mental health issues. Yes, we've got more than one possible. Uh, the boys leave Bayport many, many times. times. <laughs> a secret passageway. For sure. Uh, and an animal. Oh my god, that's bingo, man. We're not even done with the book. It's bingo. We haven't had a bingo in a while. It's good to finally get one. It is. It is. I feel very proud to be a you part should, of this. You should feel proud. So they, um, they just well, they run mean, away, right? Well, here's what happens. So the ship hears the commotion of them... Because they know that to scare sharks away, you should just flail. Yeah. I think it said very clear, like, that's how you scare sharks away. They were hurled over the lip into... Oh, yeah, because the shark doesn't just... The like, shark gets them. shot <laughs> by the men from the boat yeah. that don't see the boys flailing right next to the shark. Well, the thing is, is that the shark doesn't just surround their ship. It grabs Frank's paddle and pulls it out of his hands. Then it goes under the raft and pushes it over. And see, I imagined his razor-sharp fin <laughs> slicing the raft in half. <laughs> like a cartoon. Right, and then being fixed by that tape that that guy saw. Yeah, so the boys are too st- uh, terror-stricken to notice where going. They're just kicking around in the water, and someone fires a, uh, a shot. Thank God neither of the boys got hit. Yeah, no, it kills the shark outright. In, in one hit, yeah. Amazing. And then the boys get to shore, and they, as soon as they get to shore... A group of bronze-skinned natives seems to appear from nowhere. They surround the youths. There is no escape. I would just like to go back a second to explain these boys' um, concept of how sharks work. (laughs) Frank and Joe knew they must kick, scream, and flail their arms in an effort to scare the shark away. That's Shark Safety 101 for you. Act like a wounded animal. (laughs) That that shark will definitely leave us alone. If we just act... Like a helpless animal. Also, a moment ago, I was referring to flex tape. That's what I was referring oh, to. Oh, okay. <laughs> the, uh, the thing that a shark's fin when it slices It wouldn't your... slice through that. No? Can't okay. be flex so. tape. This chapter is called The Pirate King. And, of course, we had to wait until chapter 19 of 20 to meet the Pirate King. You know, if you're a king, you should make some sort of impression. But the Pirate King, even in these next two chapters, doesn't really <laughs> no, leave an impression on he's me. He's just a guy. They didn't do anything to build him up. The, um, their description of the community, the village in the valley on this island, is kind of interesting. So it's like thatch roof huts, it seems like, but there's also a medieval-looking small castle. Yeah, definitely conquistadors. Yes, conquistador castles, uh, massive uh, heavy wooden arc-shaped doors on massive iron hinges, conquistador-type helmets and breastplates. Each wore the bright red symbol of the twisted claw. So there's like guards. These natives are clearly... Um, Slaves. Slaves, yes. They've been, they've been clearly enslaved. I just also want to point out, 
we'll get there. But the Pirate King has only come to this island recently. Yes. Um, so that means these poor native people have stared at a castle with <laughs> iron and hinges and stuff they could have used to build a yeah, bit more permanent Yeah, you think they would have that thing. Also, this is the or Bahamas in, in 1930-ish. Yeah, so there's still people around. Yeah, I just feel that the rest of the world has really neglected this area. Yes, maybe uh, they needed someone to come in and be their new pirate king. <laughs> the interior of the building was magnificent. The walls soared upwards and met in a series of gentle arches. These, combined with the towering columns and polished stone floors, gave the area a palatial appearance. Amazing, Joe whispered. I could do without it, Frank muttered. What the... What, Frank? Yeah, no, he he's not a fan not of Gothic-style, yeah. or even post-Gothic. No, um, he th- it seems like he finds it just ostentatious. And yeah, like, you know, since gunpowder, like, your walls are meaningless. Yeah, okay? absolutely. Like, uh, and Frank's a person of today. But they meet this, this crazy king, and uh, on the far side of this medieval banquet table is a man wearing a fur-collared red robe. Now, again, this is the Bahamas. Yeah. His aquiline nose... Jutted out from between a set of dark glacial eyes. Standing to his right was Rollin, first mate of the Yellow Parrot. Rollin was a jerk to the guys earlier. Yeah, he was the guy they tried to fight a couple times and beat him up. Yeah, and so apparently uh, this guy is some descendant of the original Kartal, who is from that book that the boys saw. And he says that he's Kartal, king of this island, which, no, you're just living on this island. Master of the island is probably a better like term. But he's... They, they also didn't mention... He's wearing a fur... Red robe. Yes. But no pants. <laughs> because Just, it, is, it is the Bahamas. Yeah. It's a little hot. <laughs> Too hot. Oh, boy. Yeah, and so they think that there might be, like, uh, someone else on the island. And the king's like, have their men search the island at first light. And they're like, I wish there was some way to warn Tiller. And I was like, yeah, maybe you should have thought of that before you left him alone. Also, this pirate king, I'm trying to find it. He says some really stupid things to them. Let me take care of these guys, Rollin fumed. Calm yourself. I admire audacity. However, I have no time to question them now. He clapped his hands. Two cards reposted. Take the prisoners to the East Tower. I think we ought to find out how they got here first. <laughs> Rollin. Rollin protested. They, there might be others. It's obvious they came by boat or plane. Yeah, like, yeah. So he de- definitely just pinky in the brain to him, right? <laughs> like, we should search the island for someone else. Shut up. Here's what we should do. We should search the island for someone <laughs> yeah. else, right? Uh, yeah, have a man conduct a search. Also, I like that he's too busy to question them now. What do you got going on, man? Yeah, no, What you're sitting in a fur coat <laughs> in a your castle. <laughs> Doing nothing. He's like, no, no, I just, I haven't thought of any questions to ask them. The dancers are coming. (laughs) Shush. I don't want, because if I'm not here and they show up, they might leave and then we'll have to reschedule. Like, I I just got them here. Can we please not? Just take them to the brig. We'll question them later. Oh, they're going to escape. It's the, it's the Austin Powers. (laughs) I have a gun in my room. I will go get it and we'll kill them together. We'll kill them together. (laughs) It'll be fun. They, they get thrown in the brig and they immediately find the standard old man with a beard chained to the wall. Yeah. That's in that was also they, This was also a potential uh, vagrant who's yeah, with exactly. mental issues. A crazy old man chained up in a dungeon, which I was like, oh yeah, whenever you get thrown in a dungeon, there's this already... This is also, I have a swindled old prisoner on <laughs> this here. a swindled old so, person. I have that one as well. Or old prisoner, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure if this counts as a cult. The cult of the red. It doesn't. He's he's, he's not, delusional. He's delusional. <laughs> right? And but these guys not... just think that there's money in it. Yeah. So they find out that this guy is the father of Clay Ellis, who is the radio operator. On the been, other ship that, sent, the that ship. they made 
Chet wait for days. <laughs> yeah. To hear so from Clay him. is being blackmailed, basically. Like they'll kill his dad if he doesn't work with them. Yeah, which just didn't make much sense. No, they should just kill the dad and Clay. Yeah. And hire, and then a new hire someone to work the radio. Yeah. It's 1930s. People know how maybe, to work a radio. Maybe Chet. He clearly knows how to work a radio. And then Ellis is like, hey, you guys might not have noticed, but that dude is crazy. The king of this island. They like, have to stop him. And they're like, no, we notice. Yeah, he, he has no pants on. Yeah. <laughs> and he's in... A big fur coat in the Again, I want to be very clear. I made up the fact that he has no pants on. That's <laughs> no, no, no. That's book. now canon. Okay. He okay. is Just... only described as wearing a heavy red fur-lined robe. With no pants. And <laughs> with no pants. But they don't talk about what else he's wearing, so we can assume it's, very no- it's nothing. But I also think about the men who are in full suits of armor in the Bahamas. <laughs> Sounds miserable. I know. God, and they're standing like at the doors, just like sweating. <laughs> Two of them have passed out from heat exhaustion. Yeah. They're just like leaned Occasionally, up. Occasionally, <laughs> like yeah, but the the suits just lock when you pass out. Yeah, so, so it's just, perfect. So they're just they're dead. They're They've just been dead for days. In a, in basically an oven. Yeah, and they so they said that he's crazy, and I was like, well, this despite the the little impression that the pirate king leaves, he is the closest thing to a super villain the boys have fought. He's got a, a secret island lair. He's got tons of goons. He's got a weird aesthetic thing that's like his whole... A castle? He's got a castle. He's got a pirate theme. He successfully pulled off several huge robberies. A museum. <laughs> right. he's, he's enslaved an island of its indigenous... He's enslaved the indigenous population of an island. He's really, really discount, like dollar store Dr. Doom. Yeah, I. he's got to be really smart. I can't wait to see how they capture him. <laughs> They get out of the place. That was foreshadowing. Yes, absolutely. They're like, hey, maybe maybe we could... Uh... Oh, they found out that he's managed to get a, a hole formed. He could, like, he's carved his way out. I don't know how long Mr. This, Ellis has been in there. Also, this escape plan is my favorite. <laughs> so you want to walk through how it, how it works? So they talk to this old man who's been locked up for a while. He says, I've already done all the digging work. So the hole is there. It's just like a 40-foot drop. And really quickly, one of the Hardy Boys, it doesn't matter, is <laughs> no. like, let's take all of our clothes off and tie them together in a rope. <laughs> so their belts, their shirts. Oh, but the old guy contributes. He's like, I also have this blanket <laughs> on a Caribbean island, which probably isn't that thick or strong. So we can use that as a rope as well. So they make a rope from their clothing, their belts, and this Caribbean island blanket to descend and then the boys do and the old guy's like no don't worry about me i'm too old they're like no you have to come with us and (laughs) then he doesn't and then there's a moment where he's halfway down the rope and stops and you think something's gonna happen but it doesn't they just encourage him like keep coming he's like oh all right and then climbs down the rest of the way (laughs) i know i thought he was gonna fall yeah i thought i was like oh and that's the the old guy i can't and like They'd have to come up with some way to save him. Which possibly that was removed in the edit. Because it's like, yeah, he freezes. And he's like, I can't do it. And they're like, yeah, you can, man. Just keep coming. And he's like, oh, okay. I really like, it says here that uh, that after the 40, after all the articles are are tied together, Frank estimates his length. He says, this will take us within 15 feet of the ground. Yeah, so this old guy also gets to the bottom of this and has to drop another 15 feet. Oh, but the boys are there to soften his landing. <laughs> I mean, he so they just sort of stood there and got hit by him? But I was thinking of the first boys, like, who got to the end of the rope and then dropped 15 feet. Gotcha. <laughs> I gotcha. <laughs> just slammed. Like, 
an average room is like eight feet tall. Yeah. And like the room we're in probably right now is probably 15 feet. That's an incredible drop. Yeah. Let's break your ankle. But they were there to soften his fall. But, How? We don't know. Yeah. And of course, like Frank, the first one who dropped and Joe, they can drop 15 feet and land in, a, in like an Iron Man pose. Oh, of course. They're the yeah. Hardy Boys. They, they escape. They find out. They overhear Cartal like talking the king, talking to his, um, to his first mate. And... Uh, I like to imagine he's just talking to no one. <laughs> he's, like, he's just revealing plot points to a tree. Right? He's that crazy. But he explains that he's like, the Norwood Museum in Connecticut is of special interest to me. The armor there was made for my ancestors' exclusive use. I was like, why didn't you steal that first? Yeah, wouldn't that be the one you wanted to wear with your red fur cape? And why did you do that one last? No pants. <laughs> no pants? And now a big shiny breastplate? Just dangling underneath. So strange. They've also captured Dan. Oh yeah, that's right. They caught Dan because Dan was just sort of idling in his seaplane off the coast. Again, we're just throwing names at you. Dan is the guy that has the seaplane. Yeah, the the amphibian. They make Tiller remove the long-range tank so that Cartal and his cohorts, who are now going to take the plane... Right, which the long-range tank was in there (laughs) so they could make it back. Which means, I don't know how they made it anywhere... (laughs) <laughs> and they all have suits of armor on. They each weigh like three people, right? But they, the plane was too small to hold four people. No, oh, no consistency. <laughs> I just imagine the pilot frantically explaining to them like, no, 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 I can't. Please. Like, if you're going to do it and you're going to like it. This isn't no. going to work. <laughs> no, we're going to make it 200 miles and we're going to run out of fuel. We're going to go down. And they're like, no, 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 it'll be fine. It's fine. I'm Cartel. <laughs> I am a king. And then uh, they're like, your friend will not have... Alice is like, your friend will not have a chance to escape. Cartal is clever. He'll be watching them like a hawk. And I just wrote, no, no, he's not clever. He's a crazy person. <laughs> he is kind of nuts. <laughs> He'll probably forget about the pilot at some point. And then what, is this when they decide to stage a revolt? Yes, but they don't do anything for no, it. No, they don't. They send the guy that they just, Mr. Ellis, who they just escaped from prison with. and <laughs> Who is now an emaciated <laughs> yes, skeletal yes. man with a beard and shaggy like, hair. They send him to just go convince the natives to rebel against their new leader. Yes. Apparently he's got a silver tongue. I guess. He, he rolled a nat 20 on persuasion because these uh, these natives immediately jump on board. And I can't remember, do they like... Oh, their father arrives. Yes, on um, the Caribbean Coast Guard plane. It's a... Another seat. It's another seat, but it, it's very clear that it's much bigger. Yes. It's the um, one they should have taken originally. Yeah. So they all could have fit in it. And it clearly has enough fuel. So they ask... Uh, he's like, hey, boys, how are you? And they're like, well, we're starving, but other ways we're okay. They get a raft, and every they everybody comes ashore. And they like they said that Ellis hadn't stopped broadcasting his signal, so they were able to find the island, which I thought was really weird that Ellis wouldn't stop broadcasting. Yeah, it seems like he got that done with already. Yeah, and he should stop. But also, Ellis is not mentioned again, so he's still locked in. Oh yeah, the radio room. Oh yeah, on board he, the black. You think parrot. his father, who has been missing him for years, would have wanted to see his son first, like immediately? Yeah, but he really needed to stage the revolt first. Yeah. Let's see, he's like, okay, I'm going to request an international alert. The parrots will be seized wherever they try to put into port. Your son will be all right. I'm like, yeah, or they'll kill him immediately when they find out that... Yeah, that he's been helping pirates. Or that he's been helping the cops. Right, yeah. All of it makes no sense. No. Uh, We're getting near the end of the book where the logic, the train of thought is starting to And it just wraps up so fast. (laughs) Just, like, really cleans it up. But I'd like to say that as they are flying back uh, to Florida... 
Chet says the only logical thing that's said in this entire book. He says, I've never traveled so many miles in so short a time before. Possibly no one has, Yeah, Chet. Chet you, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. This might have been a record. Yeah, I just wrote, yeah, this is effing crazy how much you've been <laughs> flying around. So i got to add one another flight to my list. I think you have to add two. Oh, that's right, because they flew there. And they flew. Back to Florida. Right, and then they fly... Back to New York. The flight to New York was smooth and fast. Did I miss the whole revolt? All the revolt is, is the native people attack someone. There's like two guards left, right? Yeah, and they just quickly attack them. And so the village leader and uh, Ellis rally the natives and they basically just... Overpower them. Overpower these two guards. Who I guess don't have guns because they're period they're period appropriate. They can only have they have like arquebuses, like yeah. those uh, conquistador yep. style guns that couldn't hit anything. They fired once and they're like, "Well, well it'll take that. two hours to load this thing back up." So yeah, and then they fly home. Okay, so let's just make sure we have all these flights correct. Okay, so they fly from the island where the castle is to Cambrian. Yeah, and then from Cambrian to Miami, and then from Miami okay. to New York City. Um, yeah, then they fly to Norwood where the last, this like last bit of armor that Cartal, the one he should have stolen first, the one that's actually important. All of his men have been captured. They it's said just him. Except for one person to escape who turns out to be Cartal. And so <laughs> they go to investigate the scene. And on the scene, they notice that the suit of armor that he was really coveting moved a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's and, standing in the corner. And I just imagine you can see the eyes behind the faceplate like darting around. <sighs> And uh, Frank's like, I have a hunch, and goes to the suit of armor, which just moved. So I don't think that's a hunch. <laughs> no, I saw that. Yeah. And they remove the helmet, and it apparently is him. It, a violent struggle follows. So, it, so he tries to tackle them, but he's in a heavy suit of armor. I imagine he can't see very well. And then Cartel actually does a meddling, kids. He says, you'll regret having meddled in my affairs. Too bad Starker didn't succeed in squashing you like an ant in the Philadelphia Museum. He said... Confessing to an attempted murder. Yeah, so that helps. Yeah. Uh, There's then, another charge against you. Attempted murder. Just and then they wrap everything up really quickly. But there's one thing that bothers me, Frank said. What caused that shell hole in the yellow parrot? Oh, yeah. Mr. Hardy grinned. I found that out, too. She was shot by a Central American smuggling patrol boat one night, but got away without being identified. So it wasn't a... Sm- it was a... Patrol boat to stop smugglers, or, or was it a patrol, patrol boat, boat of smugglers? Smugglers patrolling their own smuggling waters. It was clearly a plot point that did not make did it not make it version. into this book, this edition. Yeah, and we're near the end. But just to be clear, we have to rip on Chet at least one more. Oh, time. that's right. What is the last little uh, little fu to Chet? Chet comes back in after taking a nap in the car in the squad <laughs> car, and that's he says, right. "Find any clues?" He asked with a yawn. A few, Frank quipped, you're a little bit late. Yeah, and then uh, when he gets home, they fly home. That's right. Then they fly home. Another flight. And Chet's dad is like, well, you have a lot of work to do. And he's like, I need a chance to recuperate. And he's like, from your trip to the Caribbean? What are you talking about? And then he's like, I'll give you till tomorrow. Then you had to start start turning over a a patch of crabgrass on the front lawn. And then they say... Basically, like, F you, Chet, maybe you'll find another sugar bowl. And then everybody laughs. You idiot. You stupid, fat idiot. (laughs) The end. End of book. And that is the end of the story. Um, Absolutely insane. For sure, gonna burn it. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure my favorite Hardy Boys that I've read so far. It had everything I wanted Globetrotting Adventures, 
ridiculous inventions. Nonsense. Super villain-ish characters. Fat dummies in chat. Fat dummies. Uh, I just, like, I cannot believe how much was crammed in this book. I did not get a bingo. I am really happy to hear that you did, but I'm going to count up these flights real quick. And this might be conservative. I might have missed a few. 22 flights minimum. You know, and that's just Joe and Frank, yeah. not counting all the flights that Fenton and checked. And they had to have occurred within a week and a half. Yeah, it's between two track meets, right? Because the next <laughs> book also opens up with them winning another track meet that Probably. their parents don't attend. don't attend. So, Brian, thank you so much for coming. Yes, thanks um, for having me. What was your like final final thoughts, final impressions of this book? Well, Did I'm you just, learn anything new about how narrative does I'm just really glad I read a Hardy Boys book. Yeah. So now I can speak with great authority on yes, the Hardy Boys. Absolutely. Um, and if you ever want to not have to read one again, this show is a perfect resource for folks out there who uh, hear people like, you know, you, the Hardy Boys come up. Don't make somebody read one of these books. Just no, have them listen to us talk about it. Um, okay. Well, Brian, do you have anything coming up? Anything you'd like to plug? Come to the museum. Come see us at the museum. Yeah, Brian is currently in our uh, Leonardo da Vinci exhibit, which will be here through August 25th. And, uh, like, you, you're you an actor in the exhibit. Yeah. So what what is your particular character? So I'm basically a merchant. Okay. And uh, good friends with Leonardo. We're drinking buddies. That's good. It doesn't come up much, but it gives me an excuse to know a bunch of things I shouldn't know as okay. just a merchant. So. Yeah, it's really fun. That's great. Well, yeah, come in and see it. Um, And uh, always, you know, the museum is always a great place to go. Thank you so much for coming, Brian. Thanks for having me. The Hardy Boys Drink Book Podcast is produced by Jack and Charles Webster. It is a part of the Panelism Network. Our music is produced by Danny Overby at Round 2 Productions. And our graphic design is by Kristen Hallstrom. Special thanks to Brian Cusick and for Darren Harris and Stephen Kloster at Gerard's Pool Hall, located in the alleyway between Larimer and Walnut in Rhino. And don't forget to tune in next time for The Hardy Boys Drink Book Number 19, The Disappearing Floor, featuring Chelsea Ochoa. 